My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Thanks for joining us today on Transmissions. I'm so glad to have you here. This week on the show, I am joined by Aid Blackburn of Clinic. The Liverpool-based duo of Blackburn and Jonathan Hartley released a great record last year called Fantasy Island, full of their trademark skittering drum machines, cavernous noises, and fuzzed-out melodies. And this week sees the 20th anniversary of their sophomore album, Walking With Thee was the title track of that record that uh, first introduced me to the band. I remember seeing them sporting their surgical masks on MTV2 and uh, noting the understated but pervasive strangeness uh, in their music. That strangeness draws you in, and a lot of this conversation focuses on um, the allure of, uh, of mystery in music, of leaving a little, leaving something unexplained, uh, leaving something... Uh, sort of uh, out in the, in the in a zone that causes you to lean in to try to figure out what exactly is going on. I feel like Clinic has that; they're masters of that, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about that. We also get into all of Blackburn's countercultural inspirations, uh, discuss the notion of blending rock and roll in the avant-garde, talk about the dub influence, Clinic offshoot higher authorities and chat about collaborating with Rocky Erickson and John Cale, uh, primary inspirations. So it was uh, it was really fun. I had a great time speaking with Aid, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. If you do, please consider doing us a favor. Uh, leave a rating and a review for the show uh, wherever you listen. Uh, recommend it to your friends and help us spread the word. Okay, let's get into it. Here's Aid Blackburn of Clinic. You're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. So I really, really dig uh, this clinic record, Fantasy Island. Um, I think the last one, Wheel Tappers and Shunters, that was named for a 70s television show. Fantasy Island also... A 70s television show is this a is this a theme you're exploring uh that's right yeah it's um no i didn't <laughs> actually realize i think until we decided on a title for fantasy island that it was also the uh the tie-in with the telly show from the 70s you know i i, I, I do i do love some of those great uh 70s television shows and it it, it made me think just how kind of weird that show was you know compared to a lot of the other things that were around at the time i, I remember because I, I used to watch it when i was a kid and it really is uh quite an out there show for the time Fant uh, fantasy island is yeah i think uh i, I remember when, when i used to watch it i, I did used to think oh, that's a great sort of concept and it's completely outside of what you used to on the television right right yeah I find my, I mean, first off, I, I guess, you know, when I was doing some research for, for our conversation, I looked it up and I didn't realize they had rebooted Fantasy Island fairly recently as like a horror show, um, which it's one of those things where the concept can lend itself to probably anything. But I was thinking uh, about that tension between, you know, spooky and and bleak, and then the sort of more uh, escapist element. And I I thought, you know, that all kind of does tie into to the clinic project as well. I feel like because there's always this great tension between 
the sort of more, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, at times claustrophobic kind of clangy stuff that you guys do. But, but on this record, there is a lot of like, you know, warmth and, and, and optimism. Uh, what, what was going, when, when did, when did work on this one start? Because obviously it came out in the midst of the pandemic, but were you at work on it before that? Yeah, we we were working on it from 2019, and uh, I, th- I think that's that really is true. That what kind of what we're always looking for within the songs and the music is it's that really fine line, you know, between the sort of warmth and the grotesque. And yeah. I, I think that that that's kind of to me that that sums up what uh, life is like a lot of the time, you know, and so I, I think it's it's that sort of contradiction, you know, and that that strange kind of juxtaposition of those two things, which, and, and I think if you can get that right, it, it kind of can really affect people, you know, because it's some it's quite jarring. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right, that's right. There's a, I think there's a lyric on the record where you sing the future, it's easy, the future is breezy and bright, just out of sight the way it is and i found myself thinking a lot about how um it is not the easiest thing to imagine the future as bright right now um just yeah. due to due to the intensity of the moment and also the intensity of of really the last you know the last 5 6 years you know um between brexit and your in your country and then obviously the, the trump administration and ours here in the states and it's a real sense that like the uh the the uh global uh march towards progress or or whatever you know it, all of that is kind of cast in in doubt you know understandably i think but at the same time um I don't know if it's possible for there to be a bright future if we don't at least imagine that there's a a, a bright future possible. And so um, I, I wonder if that's sort of what was going, you know, what was going through your head regarding the sort of optimism. I mean, do you feel like there is cause for optimism, uh, or are you maybe being a little bit more cheeky with that line and sort of a the future's so bright I gotta wear shades uh, style? Yeah, it, 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 it's certainly got a, a sort of tongue in cheek to it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, I, I agree with that. There. I, I think that say, since the economic crash in 2008, that all those things like Trump and Brexit have, have been a knock-on effect from that. And it's it's only really now that you, you, that things are perhaps a bit clearer to, to, to see, you know, with the hindsight of the last 10 years, uh, just how far down a certain path we've headed and uh it's it's always ever you know it's only ever going in that one direction as well where it's it's like turning the screw and it's um you, you know you feel each year kind of you've, you've lost a little bit more <laughs> and, and you know something that that was hardly like a kind of extravagance in the past you know things basic things or a basic sense of kind of justice and fairness yeah so so yeah, coming coming back with with the, the music, that I think, uh, I mean, I, I think because we're both sort of quite defiant in that, you know, it, it's it's like you should still try to uh, find ways to kind of fight back against this or to still enjoy yourselves and not give up on things, even though things do look very bleak, you know. Sure. Uh, and we, I mean, I, I, I was as well. I've always been a big fan of. Um, you know the the yippies, the Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, sort of the pranksterism in the sixties. So I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of in in our small way, it's a it's a way of trying to counteract all the the rubbish that you're fed through the news and media. Yeah, no, that 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 is interesting. I I I recently was listening to a conversation with the writer Eric Davis, and he was talking about that. Uh, recent Beatles uh, documentary, Get Back, he was yeah. talking about how something that struck him so much uh, watching that was the pervasive sort of humor at work. They were they were constantly cracking jokes in the midst of this very, very tense time. You know, interpersonally, there was a lot of tension 
Uh, but he was yeah. talking. He was talking about how the the humor and the sort of almost madcap zaniness of of some of the interactions called to light to him how humorless our uh, our our like our social media uh, sphere is these days, or or generally how humorless things are. So to hear you kind of reference the yippies and these sort of countercultural things where a big part of that was was humor, you know, uh, sideways humor, kind of weird humor. Um, but but that sounds like that's that's something that, you know, you're sort of drawn to. Yeah, that's that's right, because uh, I, yeah, if you look at, say, politics now, and it, it, even in entertainment, um, that people have, I, I think they feel like they need to present themselves in this very serious way, you know, not, not to leave uh, any signs of weakness, you know, which they probably would interpret humour as being a sign of weakness. But, you know, I, I think it's a strength to be able to take the piss out of yourself, you know, and to be able to laugh at yourself. And that, I think that's essential. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, that really seems to have been edged out now. And I think seeing it being edged out, that probably made us go further again with it, you know, on the record, because you think, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're not we're not scared of making fools of ourselves or, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, as if you're making music, you should be going out on a limb, really, rather than just playing it safe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so clinic is, you know, it's just, it's just you and John at this point. Um, how long, yeah. when, when did, when did that, uh, when did that occur? There's the, the, the two man lineup. When did, when did it go down to just the two of you? Well, the, the two of us, uh, have always sort of written the albums, you know, we, we do that and then yeah. kind of present the songs to the rest of the band. So we, We've been just doing that since the Free Rain album, which was 2012. You know, that was the last uh, when we would just recorded that ourselves. So, uh, but we'd still been doing gigs, you know, as, as the four of us. Got uh, it. But uh, Brian and Carl, they'd started working. So uh, it just narrowed down then to the two of us. You know, uh, there was a break in the 2010s for for Clinic for a while, and and in the midst of that break, you and John did a really great record as uh, higher authorities. Um, I, I wonder what what it was. Uh, I, that was I think maybe 2016. Um, That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I I, I wonder if if. Did, did that record for the two of you inform clinic moving forward at all um and if so how how did that how did that sort of break down or, or why did you feel the need to do a side thing when it's just the two of you as clinic what what presented itself as a as a as an opportunity there it was um with the high authorities album i i think between us the four of us in the band it got um People, you know, we, everyone had, had sort of different views on it, and you'd uh, obviously we'd been doing it for a, a long time by then, and so the two of us kind of felt that we we wanted to do the High Authorities album, you know, just so it was outside of that kind of usual band politics, and we we didn't really, uh, you know, it wasn't like a big ambitious sort of project, but then. You're right that it, it did really kind of form the basis for the clinic albums that we did after that, Wheel Taps and Shunters and Fantasy Island. I think for the Higher Authorities album, we'd, we'd started using different instrumentation. And, um, also, we'd started including more of John's songs as well from that album. Yeah. So, and I, I think that really helped to give things a different slant. And, um, so that yeah, that was a turning point. Well, it's a that's a great record. I really really dig that. Uh, that was with that was with Adrian Sherwood, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we we had a really good time. Uh, and you know now so many albums just get mixed over the internet. We we actually went down to Adrian Sherwood's and he's he's got a studio, like quite a, a small studio, but a really great you know lots of vintage stuff in his house. And uh, yeah, that, that was great, sort of mixing down there in Ramsgate. 
and uh, and the, the album it, it it came out on um, record store day, so yeah. it, it it wasn't like um, I don't know I, I think it was just taken more of like a, a one off side project sort of thing, and. Um, so I, I don't think that many people have heard that higher authority <laughs> album. It'd be, be interesting to see if you know if people eventually rediscover it. Yeah, well, I hope I hope people check it out. I I dig it a lot. I mean, you know, listening to to your discography, uh, dub music is obviously a big a big part of the sort of like the DNA of your sonic identity. I feel like um, it was. Yeah. In addition to obviously, you know, whatever garage rock and kraut rock and and the sort of on Fantasy Island, some like pop and exotica textures, you know, that I think are really uh, accentuated. But it was ex- on that that particular record, it was really cool to hear you guys lean in to the dub side of things. Uh, how did you how did you find yourself interested in dub music? Has that been a long time uh, fascination for you? Yeah, it, I mean, it was it was John who was uh, a re- really big fan hmm. from a, a long time ago, and we we had on our, our very first singles um, there was a song uh, called Kimberly, and that that had I think that was the first time we'd used the melodica that that was in yeah yeah so that that was uh, and I know what what we were looking for at, at the time was. Because we really wanted to get away from that standard sort of guitar four-piece lineup, so it was looking at other types of music, you know, where it had a kind of weirdness or a, um, a kind of psychedelic side to it, but you know, wasn't just using a standard band setup. And I, I think that's what drew him to to dub stuff, you know, just something that can be mind-bending but in a completely different way. Right. Right. For me, it's all about the space that ends up being created, this sort of uncanny space. Um, you hear so often on on dub music because you've got this incredible low, you know, low end usually. Um, and then you've got these drums that sort of clatter out into the ether almost, you know? And so it's like, it creates this really interesting space that I hear... Um, even though I, I used the term sort of uh, claustrophobic to describe clinic earlier, there's that space too that that occurs, uh, and I think it's sort of an interesting space that almost uh, invites the listener to kind of wander in, and the disorientation that you feel is sort of part of it. Um, I feel like on this new record, there is um, there is a really interesting use of of space and. So that's why I thought that Higher Authorities record might sort of be, you know, uh, yeah, as you said, a sort of a turning point. So it's interesting to hear you hear you talk about how going all the way back to the original days of the band, that's been sort of a, a concern or a thought. Yeah, yeah, because it's, you know, rather than just piling things one on top of another, <laughs> right. Uh, it, it suddenly, you know, if you cut kind of the foundations out and leave you with this space and then... And that gives you an atmosphere to it as well, you know. So that I think that yeah, that that's something that we'd always try to to you know, you know include. Yeah, the biography also sort of notes that like there were you know, you guys found yourself sort of reflecting on you know synth pop and new wave uh, influences too while you were working on this record. You and you and Jonathan started playing together in the early 80s right i mean have you been together that that long is that right yeah we i mean we started in 85 when we okay we we did started doing demos then and we went into uh it was just a a small eight track studio and and that really set us off then you know and, and from that rather than it being so much of about playing gigs or wanting to play in front of people that we both got four tracks uh you know the old cassette four tracks and and so we got interested more i suppose in production and uh overdubbing and using effects you know so i think in that way we've always been fans of of recording you know more than live 
Yeah, yeah. Has that changed? Well, I mean, obviously, over the last couple of uh, the last two years or, or so, you haven't been able to play live, uh, or probably haven't had a lot of opportunities. But but previous to that, uh, how has your relationship with live music changed? Do you enjoy it more now than you than you did, or uh, or less? Um, it's. It usually stays about the same. I, I think the, the times when I enjoy it best, uh, like we last year we got a set together and everything, and it had a lot of new things to it, different instruments and everything, and that, that was sounding really good. And unfortunately, we we couldn't we couldn't do any gigs. Yeah. Uh, so it's <clears throat> I think that's that's the time when it's always the strongest. You know when it's it's got the newest elements. I think when you've been playing for such a long time, it's easy to get into, say, dips, you know, where you, sure. you're playing at older things. So we, we definitely haven't uh, gone down that golden oldies route with it. I think that <laughs> seems like a bit kiss of death, I think. Yeah, you got to resist that when you see it. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to uh, to speak ill of of classic rock legends, but a couple of years ago, I saw the Rolling Stones, and it was the only time I've ever seen the Rolling Stones live. And I'm not uh, upset that I saw them, but I definitely, it's it was impossible for me to come to not come away with the feeling of like, this is a band that is not interested in what it's doing at this exact moment per se. It's definitely, you know, casting a look backwards. And of course, it's hard to deny, you know, people that right, but um. Yeah. But when I listen to the clinic records, it feels like each record, new things get introduced, new elements, new concepts, new sort of frameworks. And I think that is, that's pretty important. When you've been playing with somebody as long as, uh, as you have with, with John and with, um, with clinic, uh, you know, what does it take to kind of keep yourself interested in things? Is it just that, that attraction to continually reinventing the thing, uh, even if in you know s slight ways. It is, um, and because I think because it started in that kind of creative way and with the recording. Yeah, I, I don't think that either of us could kind of kid ourselves or each other that it still had a kind of a life to it if we were just going through the motions. Right. So, so say, say whenever, like when we have that, that gap between releases, um, we, we would never have just thought of coming back as clinic and playing live. You know, it would always ha have to include an album w yeah. with it. So, uh, because you're approaching it from that way that, uh, I think it, <clears throat> Yeah, it's that. That's the only way that we could really do it, and and we we've always just kept writing songs as well. Uh, although, you know, they they end up being released as albums. That it's it's more continuous rather than breaking off and then uh, starting up again for a new album. What do you What do you tend to How do you tend to compose your songs? Are Are, are you a guitar guy? Are you a keyboard guy? Uh, how does it usually? Uh, because obviously, as we've talked about, the records have like a very distinct sound, and they incorporate a lot of textures and you know rhythms and and stuff. But but just melodically and sort of structurally, how do things come together for you? Uh, structurally. Uh... It could be keyboard or guitar that um, I'd start things on, or, or John would start things on. Um, well, I'd, I think it's it's kind of approaching it in a slightly untutored way, where it's I think there's a, there's a kind of an energy or a, a feel that we want to bring out in them, which. Um, because it's more based around the, the rhythms or the grooves as well. You're not doing it in this sort of crafted right. uh, chord, chord sequence type of way. I think you, I, I would perhaps start off with a, a very loose melodic idea and then just see where you could go with that uh, over that that rhythm. So it, it wouldn't be too planned out, say, if, if you were doing, in doing a sort of verse bridge chorus type of structure. 
Right, right. Yeah, I wondered if maybe it was a little bit more impressionistic, just because you're gonna go into the studio and rework it and, and stretch it and pull it in different directions, which is part of what makes these records so much fun to listen to. That's right, yeah, because uh, I think to to leave it where the, the bulk of it is over the rhythm, yeah, uh, that that's what's carrying it, then that, that leaves things quite open then for when the two of us come to think of instrumentation or uh, perhaps changing some of the structure, you know, you know, you've just got that one sort of rhythm to base it around. Yeah. Coming back to the, the new record, you cover the Ann Peebles song, Can't Stand the Rain, on it. We had Don Bryant, who is the co-writer on that song, here on the podcast, and he told uh, us... Right, yeah. He told us this incredible story about how it was uh, uh, the the lyric kind of was just written around an offhand comment that Anne made. They were getting ready to leave for the night or whatever, and she was just like, "I can't stand the rain. It was raining." And he, yeah. it's it stuck in his head, and and you know, then eventually this song sort of came together. Uh, for you, do lyrics? sort of tend to fall out of the 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 sky do they tend to come out of sort of like offhand comments what is it that draws you to um to a lyrical idea uh yeah it's usually uh, a kind of unusual turn of phrase you know and and something uh which perhaps just upends uh standard meanings you know things with uh a kind of hidden depth or yeah, uh, that, that type of thing. That those type of lyrics are always like draw me to them because I think they bear repeated listening. Then you know, I, I think I prefer those type of lyrics generally to a, a kind of storyline type of lyric. The, uh, yeah, I keep thinking about fine dining from this record, and and uh, I don't a hundred percent know what you mean by fine dining, but that's partially why I like it so much. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about that one that's just yeah. like. The repeated, it becomes less about the words when I'm listening to it and more about like the sound of the words somehow. And uh, and there's something menacing about that one to me or or funny, like you mentioned, you know, there's I think there's a reference to a clip on tie in there, too, which is an yeah. inherent an inherently funny idea. Um, you know, fine dining, but not so fine that you have to wear an actual tie. But yeah, I don't know. It's just to me that's such an interesting thing, and I and I wonder if that's a situation where where you and John are in the studio and you're kind of going over a song like that, and it's it's just you know, does it do, do the words have to have a real specific meaning, or or is there maybe an in joke quality to it, or or a cryptic quality that you that you're drawn to? Um, yeah, it's uh, it can be sort of cryptic. I mean, and and it. They don't always have to. I, I, I like uh, where you might get a mixture of something that's more of a nonsense line, and then following that something which is very serious, you know, or, or yeah, very, so something very sort of bleak or grotesque, and then a, a kind of happy line after that. So, right. Uh, so it's sometimes I think you you more like creating a feel or sort of emotion just just by that kind of juxtaposition of the lines. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and also, uh, what were you saying with the sound of the words? I think that uh, quite often we might choose words because they're quite percussive sounding. You just the actual sound of the word. That's right. Uh, so uh, you know, come come working that way, like because oh, the the clip on your tie that that works well percussively and also sounds kind of suitably daft so that, that, <laughs> that's probably one of our best achievements with a line that one <laughs> yeah i love that i love that very much i know that uh that you cited you know richard brodigan as sort of an influence on on this one um and yeah. and, and i think about that that use of words you know where it's like especially when you read some of his stuff out loud um it just takes on a different quality than it than than on the page sometimes, you know. And you you get the sense that like, you, you, I like when I like when a lyric feels um, 
it, it, it feels sort of maybe not, I don't want to say divorced from a specific meaning, but, but alludes to a meaning more than tells you. Yeah, I, that, that space, again, we're talking about space mostly, I feel like. Space for the listener yeah. to wander in and find themselves maybe a little confused, but in a pleasant way. And I feel like that occurs with the lyrics too, and sort of always has. You know, I first, I feel like I first heard Clinic uh, in, in the the in the 2000s when walking with thee was all over uh mtv2 that's when i was yeah. uh but that has the sim- that has a similar thing you know like i remember like walking with thee what is what is this alluding to it has like a biblical sound you know or a or a sort of religious connotation and it's repeated in this like mantra like fashion and i just remember feeling like that was such a cool lyric at a time when not every band was making interesting, cool, you know, lyrics or, or, or whatever. A lot of the stuff that I heard you guys presented alongside. Yeah. So I, I mean, the, the, the type of lyrics that, uh, so we, we, we always try and avoid will be, you know, those sorts of attempted rock and rolls type of lyrics, <laughs> uh, which I, I mean, I do like a bit of that, but you know, where it's a bit, it's a bit too kind of, cabaret you know or it's a bit cliche so I, I like throwing in things everyday things next to something fantastical and I, I think that's what Richard Broadskin was really good at doing yeah um, yeah and, and I, as you say when it's when it's read aloud it it's fun to read a lot of the time isn't it sometimes Richard Broadskin and uh it, it does take on you know it's got a different life to it than just reading on the page yeah, no, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, going back to that that sort of like MTV2 era and and the sort of the 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 moment where there was this push, you know, by maybe say record companies or music magazines or whatever, there was this big rock is back kind of thing. And and looking back on it now with the with the um with a little hindsight afforded to us um it it feels kind of funny for for (laughs) clinic to be lumped in with that stuff you know i'm thinking of sort of garage rock bands you know uh you had a guitar you had guitars so there was that that kind of lumped you in with them but i wonder did you feel any sort of a simpatico vibe or affinity with some of the 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 bands from that moment you know maybe let's say groups like the strokes or whatever where there was sort of a post-punk or uh um you know garage rock influence yeah. did did you did you feel like you were a part of anything at that time or did you always sort of feel like clinic was maybe a, a little bit of an island of its own yeah i think we've always felt quite out on our own you know yeah that, i think when it I think what the at the time the enemy would call it the, the new rock revolution right and you know, it was a bit like that. Uh, oh, suddenly everyone's heard of the Modern Lovers or the Velvets. Or something. <laughs> you know, we'd, you know, we'd been listening to them for years and stuff. So it, it was all very hyped and stuff, wasn't it? And it, it, it seems funny now that everyone would be so eager to push a, a rock revolution where it looks very dated now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. Faith, yeah, yeah. Put all your faith in that kind of guitar. Because even though it's like classed as indie, it's still very cliched sort of rock moves, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I feel like, you know, I I was sort of determined not to bring up the masks uh, in in regards to <laughs> like, isn't it funny that you guys wore masks and now we all have to wear masks? Uh, um, but to go back though to that moment, um so many of those rock moves that you're alluding to and the sort of standard yeah. tropes of rock and roll. So much of that was also in the look of those bands, you know, and everybody was sort of wearing seventies clothing. And, and, and it was like, here we are at the, uh, the start of a new century, you know, and, and we're looking back. Um, but clinic in contrast had sort of a non image. And so it felt like even then, um, this despite the fact that I didn't have a a vast record collection and didn't really have a great understanding of the sort of um, artistic lineage that you were drawing from, I didn't have that yet. You know, even then, yeah. I did have a sense seeing you 
you guys like oh this is a different thing this is an this is like an artier a, a more abstract thing um was the non-image important to you in in regards of like it, it, you know in addition to maybe feeling a little bit like you're an island of your own i mean did you want to be sort of an island of your own saying like we're not a part of these other things and this non-image is one of the avenues by which people are going to be able to sort of understand that we're 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 a little different yeah certainly the, the non-image uh that that was very deliberate because um you know it's it's seen like looking at those photos of of bands that you'd get in the NMA, you know which become more and more kind of played out and it the four lads stood against the wall or yeah yeah like like, like, like you're saying it you know how, how many more, more sort of ramones photos can you rip off sort of, you know <laughs> it's, it's getting like more like that wasn't it and then and then, so you'd had all of that through the kind of 90s anyway and with the brick pop stuff sure and then and then you you just back into another what was at the time was billed as more edgier version of you know a bit more rock and roll but it wasn't so uh so yeah we 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 wouldn't have felt comfortable at all just doing standard band photos you know, it, we we felt that uh it was only it seemed right to have your own kind of visual take on things you know, whether we're doing the sleeves ourselves or having those the outfits uh it, it just seemed very unimaginative like you say you know it's, it's a new century but we're just desperately trying yeah. to copy something. And I, I think with that sort of diminishing returns, that, that seems why things have got worse again, you know, because we, we're still trying to go down that avenue. Hey, you're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you curious about the world, but also want to be surprised and even moved? Do you demand skepticism, but also want to leave space for wonder? Radiolab experiments with sound and storytelling, allowing science to fuse with culture and information to sound like, well, music. Join hosts Jada Boomrod, Lulu Miller, and me, Latif Nasser, for an experiential investigation that explores themes and ideas through a patchwork of people, sounds, and stories. You can listen to Radiolab wherever you get your podcasts. We talked a little bit earlier about the about the sort of socio political times that we're in, right? Where yeah, you definitely can see that that a desperate desire to return to a imagined past. Um, yeah, and it's it's really comforting to do that, and you know, I find myself doing that myself as well. Of uh, course, you know, yeah. It's the nostalgia of it, isn't it? And it's a bit hard to believe that these things that are only kind of in a relatively recent past seem like a, a, a different place altogether. Well, yeah, I mean, the way... there. I mean, there's all sorts of cliches and sort of hackneyed ways of thinking about this, but but the, the term the new normal, you know, comes to mind and it's and it's hard for me to shake that because there is, I think, right now a sense, at least for me personally, that like we really need to try to grapple with what's happening right now um, versus looking to uh, the past for a sort of template for how we should continue or behave, you know. At the same yeah. time, it's impossible. We have to use the past as a as a way of decoding and interpreting what's happening right now. So, so I feel like, um, at the risk of of being, you know, like uh, grandiose or whatever, sort of what you guys do in clinic is an interesting um, example of ways that you can pull from the past. You can pull from your record collections and and take these elements and then recontextualize and reimagine and reintegrate uh, them into something that doesn't feel like a carbon copy of what occurred already you know and I and I, and I wonder if there's like sort of a an artistic uh, or a creative view that that maybe we could look to art as a as a way of saying like no we don't have to discard everything that came before but we do have to reinterpret it and we do have to come up with a new way to present it uh, otherwise like you said it sort of loses its meaning uh does that sort of resonate with you 
It does, yeah, I, I, that, that really does, because uh, when we're putting the songs together, I think if, if anything is too much of one thing, you know, if it sounds too much either like something else or just one style, one idea, then we wouldn't carry on with it. So right. I, I think, you know, where it has to, I think, surprise yourself and take it outside of something that's easy to categorize. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's really a healthy thing, you know, because if, even if you can do say something that's a, a really great song, but strongly influenced by something else, I, I think that might be satisfying for a short time, but then eventually you're just going to feel, well, we've already heard this, you know, so how much better or how, how much can you justify this? That's uh, right. I, I think there does have to be something to it where you could say, uh, I don't quite know how to place that in order for us to feel like you're going forwards musically. And as you say, not, not to just repeat the past. Yeah. Yeah. And the clinic discography is sort of a, a master class in, in maintaining an identity and a, and a, and a sort of like identifiable, um, sound while still incorporating new elements and re reworking and, and, and not falling into just tropes, you know, but, but also when you put on a clinic record, you can immediately tell it's clinic. And to me that there's something very, very interesting. And again, that sort of, maybe there's a little tension there too, you know, the tension between being an identifiable and sort of singular kind of group and also uh, being willing to sort of jettison uh, certain things out or or interject new new things to me that's a very interesting thing that you that you you guys accomplish and not every band gets to accomplish that you know some bands only have a few albums in them before the formula is uh, exhausted but maybe the lack of formula has been helpful for you guys. Yeah, I think it must be a kind of there's quite a strong foundation to it in what the, our personalities are yeah. like really, uh, because uh, I, I think, as you say, that with, with some things, you know, it might, might be able to last for a couple of albums, but perhaps it was too based on what was happening at the time, you know, what the trends were at the time that allowed it to come through. Yeah. And then, you know, then, then you can be a bit flummoxed if you, you haven't <laughs> got a kind of strong enough foundation to go back to. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, because we've always been a bit mental and stubborn. <laughs> we, we, we've ended up uh, a mixture of sort of design and, and look as well. Uh, we, you know, it, it has, as you say, got, got its own kind of feel or sound to it, you know, even if it's not the same instruments each time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, when, when so I think we, we talked, we touched on a little bit how around 85, you, you and John were playing together. I'm curious, was that, was that the group Sunny Rain Afterlife? Was that when you first, was that the first sort of name for a, a project, which would maybe eventually morph into Clinic? Yeah, it was, it was Sunny Rainy Afterlife and, um, hmm. it, it was, it was the two of us and our, our mate Rich uh, and that that was it was such an enjoyable time that you know we, we were just again we were mainly just doing recordings and uh, probably you know did the odd one like sticking the amps out the window so yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not leaving the house um, and yeah that that was it was just the three of us and and ironically as well using drum machine so. Uh, you know, we kind of come full circle with Fancy Island. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's really interesting. Um, what was it? So you sort of knew early on that that you were attracted more to the recording side, more to the studio side. Um, did you guys start pressing records uh, right away, or, or or fairly quick? What was it like, sort of? Uh, getting singles made in those days? Because I know Clinic also began uh, as a singles band, sort of. You were putting out uh, a, a vinyl, which was collected uh, for that first release. But um, what was it like in those days? Was it was it pretty simple or, or fairly simple to get stuff made? Uh, we, we never 
released anything for years. We'd just do demos, hmm. uh, I think, because we were only older. I think we'd be 16 when we started doing that. So, uh, yeah, it just seemed like it was it was a bit another world to, to, at that stage to think of getting things pressed up or anything. So it, it'd only just be tapes, and we'd send like tapes of it off to get reviewed and everything. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys yeah. get did you guys get any reviews? Uh, were, any good ones, any bad ones? Uh we had one uh it was in the uh it was like the local uh listings magazine just in in Crosby which is a suburb of Liverpool. Yeah. And uh, I, I was amazed that they reviewed it because normally they'd have more like cabaret bands in, you know, or like very <laughs> sort of mainstream stuff and it it just said I think it said, you know, not bad. Uh, they managed to avoid uh, throwing the kitchen sink in. So I don't know, that, that was like a sideways compliment. But, uh, <laughs> that's funny. We were, we, we were chuffed with that. You know, we thought, oh, yeah, that's uh, that probably kept us going for a, f- a few months. Yeah. <laughs> so that eventually, though, did start to coalesce into into clinic by the by the, the 90s, by the late 90s. Um, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned sort of Britpop and all of that. Uh, similar to the sort of rock is back thing, uh, did you feel fairly alienated from from that, or or did you feel a little bit more artistic uh, alignment with some of some of those groups? Uh, no, I really felt alienated by that because, uh, say here in England, uh, it seemed quite overnight. You know, all of the radio would just be wall to wall that stuff you know and it, there'd be a lot of kind of fake um indie labels springing up you know which were just <laughs> subsidiaries and majors and of course and, yeah and the, the enemy was was full of all of that and it, it really seemed you know oasis being the, the kind of the, the main band with it and blair that so much of it was about money that it really put me off it you know i was a massive fan of the music you know I, I, now you can see I, I think that pulp and elastica have stood the test of time but a lot of it was just throwing off against the wall and see what happens you know it wasn't it sure. wasn't almost meant to be a quality to it. it was meant to be just disposable yeah it's funny that you mentioned though how certain I mean, if you're a strong songwriter, you know, you can sort of transcend the the stylistic trappings of your of your day. But but it is a rare group that does that. And it is a rare kind of quality that doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, And it is funny that it was uh, how much of that, you know, how much of the stuff that we're talking about, the sort of Britpop stuff, you know, we then talked about the return to rock movement and a lot of it's just basically the same kind of bands just slightly adjusting the template you know and that's uh that's not so that's not so enduring uh 20 years later 22 years later no because when when you look at it from our perspective now it's still just generally four people (laughs) on a stage playing (laughs) guitars and and changing the descriptions of it, <laughs> yeah. know, that's that's a bit harsh. But yeah, it's 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 a, taking a piss slightly, isn't it? To say, oh, this is a completely new thing. You know, we've never heard anything like this yeah. before. When you know, ap- apart from the fact that it's been going since like the the fifties. So. <laughs> yeah. No. No. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask. Uh, about the sort of the conceptual side of things uh i know the residents were were a, were an influence for you in terms of uh sort of visual approach and also sort of that uh, that sort of identity making and myth making and mystery you know there's a sense of mystery yeah. to that uh i wonder how much that sense of mystery was important to you as a young listener in terms of drawing you into the music because now you know we tend to know almost everything about um an artist in in part because of podcasts like this one where people ask artists a bunch of questions then we get to listen to them talk so i know i'm contributing to it but at the same time you know i think about that sense of mystery and how important that must have been uh and how important it remains in terms of a band like clinic but but was that was that a, a big thing for you when you started getting interested in music 
it was a big thing. And when you when you think about it now, that e- even uh, the, the kind of really mainstream stuff had a bit of mystery to it, just because you couldn't find out, as you say, all, all the time what what they were up to, and there wasn't social media or anything. So, uh, and then I, I think beyond that bands that I liked growing up in Liverpool, things like Teardrop Explodes and Echo and the Bunnymen, where a lot, a lot of that was not to do too much. It was um, a, a mystique about something just just really seemed to to draw me to bands that had that. And I, I think when I was growing up, um, the two sort of big bands who, who seemed to really take that into account was the Teardrop Explodes and Echo and the Bunnymen. And then, especially with them both being from Liverpool, that uh, that that was set a really good example, you know, of something that you could do well without yeah. all, without resorting to the obvious, you know, and that, that, that kind of tacky way of trying to sell something. Yeah, and and I know the the residents, you know, who aren't from Liverpool, but the residents also uh, kind of an influence. And what was it about about that group that you uh, were drawn to? Uh, it was, I think, because we we'd always been drawn to visuals, and and that seemed to be taking it a step further. You know, that the identity was concealed, and they used the eyeball heads. Yeah. Uh, so that. And also, just that the the, the the residents, I think, incredibly catchy. You know, the the riffs and the tunes. So it's doing something kind of melodic, but with a subversive side to it as well. So it was it, it was that kind of odd mixture that really appealed. Yeah, for, for sure. And you know, that's funny that 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 does carry through clinic as well because. Uh, your stuff, there is usually a, a pretty nice melodic hook, at least somewhere hidden in there and i i really appreciate that about the group that there is a, a real sense of of melody that goes with that that sense of of mystery yeah that's that's right because i think to have a, a strong melody there that's then draws people into it uh so without having say a strong melody or a, a, a combined with a strong rhythm I think you know you could be just dismissed as well, what are those kind of nutters doing over there? You know, <laughs> uh, so it, it's essential that it has something to balance that off. You've you've never appeared in a photograph on any of your album covers, right? It's always been illustrations or or photo work, or but it's but it's, you've yeah. never been on the cover, right? No, we haven't. No. Is that an intention? Was that an intentional thing to some degree? I mean, although you're obscured in your, you know, promotional photos and stuff, was there even a step beyond where it's like we don't want to, we don't want to put ourselves on the cover for for some reason? Yeah, we didn't. I mean, we we weren't really interested in kind of pushing ourselves as people in in any kind of way. Uh, But I think perhaps above that was that just thinking about. Uh, making uh, attractive sleeves or uh, exciting sleeves seems quite limited if you're just basing that around a, a band type of photo. You know, e- e- even if uh, you know you accessorize it or do it in a in an unusual way, seems a lot more scope because then it's wide open if you're not just sticking to band photographs. Sure, sure. And I think of, I mean, the cover of Internal Wrangler just like it it sticks in my head i think i recognize now a little bit of a you know uh there's like a there's a jazz quality to that one almost like it could be an impulse uh release or something along those lines sort of a pop a pop art approach but yeah that absolutely is so it's so different than you know uh a cover where it's like as we've talked about so much in this conversation you know the four four guys with guitars or whatever uh it's 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 cool that it, it 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 in a way I think it also helps to create uh, a sense of of remove from the regular world, which is kind of nice when you engage with a record, you know. Um, yeah, and I, I think that like that's that, really yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, that's important. I think. Uh, yeah, that it's in it, in its own world, and um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's true as well with 
because we have been talking a lot about that that kind of older sort of four piece thing, and I I think because I, I love that so much, but you you also have to think you know in in order to make the music kind of alive now, you you can't just keep going back to that. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, and the and and the fact that that it's a uh, that it's a two man group now, at least for the recording side of things, you know, uh, obviously that removes you a little bit even more from uh from that template but nonetheless like i i think that it seems like the interest in progression and the interest in not uh not going down any path that is too familiar is really important to you and i think that comes across in the in the constant evolution and in the strange sort of uh the the way a record like Fantasy Island, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's there's not a lot of bands that this far into their career are still interested in 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 uh, that kind of experimentation and that kind of resistance to the familiar. I think about that. The latest Low record is a great example of a band that, similar to Clinic, in my opinion, sounds exactly like the band and also completely unlike anything in their discography except you know or or more in line with recent sort of developments i feel like that carries over too and that's a pretty that's a pretty rare thing in the in the world of of music mm, yeah i'd agree with that because i i just thought that the uh, the people or bands who who still do that will be the ones that started out being kind of really big music fans and yeah. doing, perhaps doing it for 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 the what I'd consider the right reasons. You know, uh, I think when you look at at bands that tend to like at this stage, they they tend to consolidate things and then it's quite happy just doing that golden oldies set and living off the past. And I, I just couldn't have done that, you know, and I, I don't see any of us could have done that where it just seemed, uh, had, that just seems very lazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, somebody that I, one of my all-time favorite interviews, it wasn't for this podcast, but it was for Aquarium Drunkard, was I got to speak with John Cale a few years ago. And mm. He's an example of somebody. We were talking about a record where he had revisited, uh, you know, uh, an older recording, and sort of reworked and reimagined it, and it just sounded so drastically different. Um, it, it reminded me of 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 what you're talking about. This sense of like, for certain artists who are doing it for the for the quote unquote right reasons, which I guess maybe we could say are artistic uh ambition and uh the desire to share the desire to make something new and interesting you know that that's maybe what i would classify as the right uh reasons i don't know if that aligns with yours yeah that that would be how, how i look <laughs> at it and I, I i you know i can really appreciate uh this you know it's the same with us that uh just surviving and earning money is a is probably harder than than ever now so oh people, yeah sure <laughs> people want and, and need to do that uh but i, I think it, it seems like you know perhaps you could just do it in a less overt type of way you know or or to just put the music ahead uh you know always a bit suspicious of bands don't make new music and just reform to tour you know that, that <laughs> seems a bit cabaret sure sure yeah. Well, I I brought Kale up in part because because in 2017 you you guys joined him and played some some Velvet Underground covers. Uh, was that your? Had you previously met John already? No, we hadn't. I mean, we we had spoken to him on the phone quite a few years before that when uh, it was it was a different thing before Clinic and we. Uh, there was possibility that we could have done some recording with him, but that that didn't happen. And um, so it was really out of the blue when we got asked to do that uh, that kind of velvet show. Yeah, um, was it was that a pretty huge thrill? I have to imagine it was. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, because I, I I just never thought any, anything like that would ever happen. You know, and it, it's they they were like the, the really big thing for me as a teenager you know and just so influential so yeah um, 
yeah so we, we ended up um yeah we, we had i think we only had one day's rehearsal for it and um and it was yeah it was just really strange because he would say one of the songs we were playing was run 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 and uh you know he was doing the backing vocals on it and, you know you just say oh this is <laughs> really strange yeah i mean what a <laughs> what a head what a head trip um to yeah. to be in a position like that did you get a did you get a chance to see todd haynes's uh velvet underground documentary i haven't seen it yet i actually I, 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 I'd forgotten about it, and then I, I looked at a couple of clips last night. It, lo- it looks a really good documentary. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend. I highly recommend it. It's um, it's a very interesting documentary in that it doesn't always. I mean, it feels a little bit more like an art film, you know, which is befit befitting the band, of course. But uh, but some of the footage, uh, because there's not a lot of live footage of, of the VU, so it's not like they can rely on these live concert clips to sort of convey the the transcendent power of the art. They have to go other, yeah. ab- you know, other routes to find that, and and then and they do. But yeah, the stuff, you know, the the discussion of of Reed and Kale's working relationship, and and what exactly the the link between the avant-garde and and rock and roll that they were forming is it's mind-blowing you know so i mean it must have been must have been great to be on stage with them are there you know are is there anybody else on your wish list of dream collaborators do you have something like that somebody that you haven't worked with yet that is still on your you know well i hope that happens someday kind of list um that's a good question yeah uh i mean what one one other person that we we were lucky enough to do something with in the past was um, was Rocky Erickson. Uh, oh yeah, and we 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 supported his band uh, in London, and uh, and we met him, and that was exact. Uh, I, I didn't really have much of a view on whether you, you should meet kind of like people that you were heroes when you were younger and stuff, and um, it, I, I wasn't. Uh, disappointed by uh, either you know I, I thought they were both really nice sure. and, and uh and and wanting to talk as well you know so even though at the time i think rocky was probably you know still going through a tough time but you know he just seemed like really into music yeah yeah so i mean geez between rocky erickson and john cale yeah i mean those are uh, i have to imagine two of the biggest biggest influences in terms of your of your of, of what drew you into into music the uh the you know the 13th floor elevators are uh, again another band that forged those connections between the avant-garde and rock and roll at a time when that wasn't the most intuitive uh approach and i guess in their case maybe it was even a little bit by accident you know <laughs> but uh but yeah. nonetheless yeah, and you can see. Perhaps it's easier now to see those similarities, isn't it, between them? You know that that's what they were doing. It's rock and roll and the avant garde. Oh, for for sure, for sure. And 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 whereas the uh, you know uh, um, whereas the Velvets were more conceptual about it, you know the Thirteenth Floor Elevators. It was just by, I guess, virtue of being true weirdos in a place that was not necessarily as hospitable to two weirdos but yeah um yeah, yeah the connection the connections are definitely there uh although who knew who knows if anybody realized it at the time you never realize when it's happening i guess it's all in hindsight no and it, for, and it, you really have to kind of put yourself in their shoes to, to to imagine how brave that was at the time you know to go against the grain you know i mean now it seems such a logical step doesn't it oh that's how it's things should evolve but when, sure. When, when you look at probably the the amount of criticism and flat they got at the time, yeah. Not to mention, you know, uh, <laughs> hassle from law enforcement. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 more severe again. <laughs> it also it all it all uh, it all ties together. Well, hey, uh, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on Transmissions. It's been a real uh, been a real joy talking with you, and I've really I've really dug it. Yeah, it's been really nice. Thanks, yeah. I've really enjoyed chatting. All right. Well, we'll speak again sometime. Uh, Be safe in the meantime. Definitely. And you. Thanks, Jason. Hola, somos ESPN.
Presentado nuestro primer disco. You've been lying in the corpse position, which is the position of deep relaxation. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Transmissions. Our show comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find show notes and miscellany at Aquarium Drunkard, and you can support the podcast by checking us out on Patreon. Aquarium Drunkard is an independent situation, so your contribution means a lot to us. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. The show's executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. You can find me at Jason P. Woodbury on social media, so please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from listeners. Uh, would love to hear uh, from you. Let me know what you like about the show, what you want to hear more of. Uh, whatever you want to share, I am uh, I'm an open channel. Next week on the program, Matthew E. White joins me to discuss all things Space Bomb. I hope you'll join us. Follow Aquarium Drunkard on your social media feed so you don't miss it along with all of our other offerings. Okay, speak again soon. Transmission concluded. Close your eyes.